This podcast discusses difficult topics that may not be appropriate for all listeners. We are not doctors or therapists. None of our content should be construed as medical advice, nor as a substitute for professional help. Names and other specific identifying details are often changed for the privacy and protection of our guests. Our guests' experiences are shared as they experienced them. Opinions may not reflect the opinions of Beck and Ella or this podcast. There will also be adult language used. Lots of it. Listener discretion strongly advised. Welcome back to our show. How are you doing, Ella? I'm doing great. How are you? Well, I am doing good too, but I know that you're lying because this planetary shit that's going on is fucked up. I need Venus to get out of the microwave. I need Leo to like, I'm a Leo. I am absolutely good with the time of Leo, but like this time Venus is making it. I would just like to say for all of our listeners, if you were having a horrible time with things like relationships, money, self-worth, values, self-esteem, pretty much everything that goes into having a really good life. Right now it fucking sucks and it's because of the planets. So sorry, but that's how it is. Don't well, you agree? Truth, it really is. <laughs> I 100% agree. You know, I mentioned it last night that my emotions are all over the place and I've been bawling like a fucking baby. I know, me too. <laughs> I like POV. I sent this to you yesterday, like 40-year-old woman driving down the interstate, bawling my eyes out to a Taylor Swift song. Like <laughs> like a, a normal 40-year-old woman. Oh my God. I it's, mean... been, it's been really bad though. And I just really want to like say that to everyone. Like I'm a skeptic by nature, but when I read, like I'm like having this hard time and then Ella sends me this thing that's like, it's the planets. This is what it says. And I read it and I'm like, these things are always so general. This is exactly what's fucking <laughs> happening to me right now. The planets are having some impact on it. So anyway, yeah. all of that aside, yeah. we are continuing our two-parter this week. So last week you heard from Fred and a little bit from Roxy. But today we're going to hear about how their stories intertwine and yep. it's pretty fun and interesting. So very with that, we will pass it off to Roxy to pick up from where we started last week. Oh my, let's get into it. Oh my. So Roxy, where do you fit into that? Well, I fit into that because obviously I was married to Lord Voldemort, he who shall not be named. We met when we were very young. He was a roommate with a mutual friend of mine and Fred's and it was my second year of college. This was the late nineties. We met, we just started hanging out. He actually, actually, when I first met him, he had a girlfriend, they had broken up like a few months later. And then he, you know, we started hanging out and just started. And it was, it's interesting because we also didn't really have like what, what Fred was talking about, like that long, like the proper courtship time period. It was like, Oh, we're together now. That's it. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. Yep. I was so young, you know, in defense of both of us, we were so young, 20 and 21 years old. Absolutely. He was my second boyfriend that I'd ever had. I don't know the first, the first red flag I had with him where it just really, really got me. We went out to have lunch and he was silent the entire time. He was quiet. He didn't ask me anything. He didn't like, how's your day? Or uh, you know, what you've been doing or anything. He was just quiet the whole time. And I was sitting there. Is he mad? No, he wasn't mad. He was just silent. Just silent. And in my mind, I'm sitting here, this threw up a red flag for me. And I was like, oh, I can't be with someone who doesn't want to 
talk at lunch. I mean, you don't have to talk a lot. Just like, how's your day been? Stuff like that, you know? There are other little red flags. Lord Voldemort, he was a covert narcissist. Tell us what that means in your own words. Backhanded compliments, nagging. Uh, every once in a while he would just get angry out of no, like we'd be having a good time and then all of a sudden anger for no reason. Or he would say something critical about me out of nowhere. I'd be minding my own business and he would say something critical. I have a couple other red flags like early on where we went to see Tommy Davidson from In Living Color, one of my favorite comics. He came to the college, was doing a stand-up night, and I was so excited to see him. And I even had another friend there with us. And we were talking about it. And all of a sudden, it was like a 180. He turned on us. And all of a sudden was mean and angry and acted like he didn't want to be there. And I really don't know what that was about. If it was just like he didn't, all of a sudden he didn't want to be there or it was an attention thing. He, he felt like he, he was being forced to do something he didn't want to do. You're excited about something that's not him. Yeah, that's not him. How do I take this energy and take and bring it this way? Yes, yes. <laughs> Instead of at the comic and the cool things she wants to do, how can I pull it back? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he really, every once in a while, he would like to create drama for no reason out of nowhere. And it was very frustrating. Uh, another thing is funny, I was talking about Farrah freaking out about taking out the trash. He did the same when I asked him, like, I asked him once or twice to, hey, can you run the trash out? And it turned into a 20-minute debate, and he was so angry at me. And and what it was is he hated his mother. She was a terrible alcoholic. He's an ACOA all the way, all the way, but in complete denial of it. I even mentioned it to him when we were getting a divorce because a therapist, I was describing his behavior and his background to a therapist and said, oh, he's an adult child of an alcoholic. He said that he moved like 30 times between the ages of eight and 17. Wow. She was a very unstable person. And his dad was not in the picture because he was a terrible um, drug addict as well. So he went through a lot. If you want to know the backstory of why he is the way he is, like, I get it. I get why he's a narcissist. Like, I understand why. Doesn't mean you can treat somebody that way. You know, once you know their background, right. it's like, absolutely. Doesn't mean you can be that. I mean, it's like, you know why? But you're like, okay, that's your shit. You go work on it. I'm going to go do my thing. Bye. But he, he also would redeem himself whenever he'd get angry with me. And obviously it would upset me and hurt me. I'd be so hurt. He would do the love bombing. He would get me something or take me out. And I just, I stayed with it because of that. Like I tried to think, oh, the good times are so much better than the bad times, you know? And also my toxic thought for myself was, well, no one else is ever going to love me. So he's the best I'll ever do. So I better just put up with this and just figure out how to make it work or I'll be alone. You know, cause you're young and that's what you're thinking. It's like, oh, this is the best I'm going to do. For those at home, that person is not the best you're ever going to have, I promise. No, even if you end up being alone, folks, that is still better than being with someone like Absolutely. that. Absolutely. 100%. But um, like I said, I was young and that's what I was thinking. So fast forward a few years later, we do get married. I will say we had a nice little wedding and, you know, we're doing fine. We're both working 
he, he's got a good job that I helped him get, of course. And then he moved on to another job because that job helped him get the new job. I really helped build him up. Like he wouldn't have graduated from college. I let him live with me and my mother for a few years. We lived with her while he finished up school. He very much took women in his life for granted because he was a misogynist. He, he would never say that out loud or admit it, but he was a hardcore misogynist because he didn't respect his mother. That's another red flag I'd like to put out there for the ladies who are listening. If a man does not like or respect his mother, that's a red flag. You know, not that it's a it's a bad thing. Just work. Just make sure he's working on his shit if he doesn't like his mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Lord Voldemort did not. He did not work on his issues with his mother at all. And then you get to be his mom. Yeah, exactly. And I end up asking him <laughs> to take out the trash. And it turned into a 20 minute argument because his mother used to ask him to take out the trash. I even told him one time, I, I'm not your mom. I'm, how dare her. Yeah, how dare her. How dare her ask her to take out oh the trash. Oh my God. <laughs> and so while we were married, he did the little nagging things. I'd lost some weight before we got married and I'd lost like 30 pounds or something like that. And I was really excited about it. And he, and he would say things like, gosh, well, everybody's going to want you now. Mm. And at the time I was like, that's a really odd thing to say. And I think about it years later and I'm like, so nobody else would have wanted me. People wanted me before. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Thanks. Thanks, man. Thanks. He made fun of my hobbies, like things that I was into, things that I enjoyed. He made fun of those. He uh, made fun of a friend hired me one time to paint a painting for his house because he liked the way I painted. He criticized my painting technique on it, even though my friend knew exactly how I painted and my style. Breaking you down. Oh, yeah. And he was jealous of our dog. It's a dog. You have to take them out and spend time with them. And I did love that dog like crazy. I love that dog. And he was jealous of her. It was ridiculous. And he also had a group of friends. Fred may remember these other group of friends. He was friends with this guy named Nathan. He was also a terrible misogynist as well. And he had another friend and they would come over and hang out sometimes. Before the incel word was floating around, before people knew what it was, these guys, I wouldn't necessarily put them in the incel category because they would still get girlfriends sometimes, but they did it completely through manipulation tactics and they would go after women with really low self-esteem and women they could break down. Another red flag, whenever he hung out with those guys, he would change his attitude and he would start talking down to me when they were around and... I noticed it. It was very different. And he only did it in front of the, I guess he was like, oh, there's a woman in the room. I better act like I'm better and smarter than her. And I pulled him to the back one night, you know, away from them and said, and I confronted him about it. I said, you know, you're, you're, kind of mean to me when these guys are around. You talk down to me when they're around. And he and he actually did kind of slump the shoulders and be, oh, I'm sorry, you know, kind of halfway apologized and everything because he knew he was doing it. And I caught him and I called him out on it. So, but yeah, those guys were just a terrible influence. Another, you know, thing for people to look out, look out for the other person's friends. And I know, I know uh, Fred knows what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, at this, at this time, like right after that was when Fred and Farah got together shortly after that, after we were married, maybe like a year or so, I think. Yeah. I'll be honest with you. The first time I met Farah, I was like, ugh. She was a lot. Yeah. Again, going with your gut instinct on somebody, just complete know-it-all. 
shitty attitude, very much thought she was better than everybody else. He who shall not be named and I would go over and hang out with Fred and Farah. Sometimes Mindy was there. And when Fred and he who shall not be named like went off to talk or something or go outside, maybe maybe Fred was having a cigarette or something, I'd be in there with Mindy and Farah. And it was the worst. I was sitting there between a definite narcissist and another one with narcissistic tendencies. And I was sitting there in the middle, trying to be me, just trying to be kind of nice and, and everything. The meantime, in the meantime, they were just, just complete know-it-alls, just absolutely gross attitudes, the way that they would talk and talk about other people, Farah especially. So it got to the point where I told he who shall not be named when he when he told me like he'd be going over to Fred and Ferris house and asked me if I wanted to go. I was like, no, I don't want to go because I did not want to be around her. I did not want to be around her at all. I did not like her. I didn't. I was like, but I wasn't going to say anything to Fred because that's his girlfriend. You know, that's none of my business. If they have a relationship, that's, you know, their thing. That's I'm not going to disrespect that. And then one night after he shall not be named was over there hanging out with Fred and Farah, he comes home and he tells me, Hey, you know, Farah, uh, the whole time I was over there, had her, had her legs open and was wearing a skirt and was flashing me her hoo-ha the whole night. <laughs> and I was like, Hmm, that's weird. And of course me being again, trusting. And I, I will admit I was naive. I was like, why would she be doing that? Is that, was it hot? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe she was trying to cool Maybe off. It was a little hot in the basement. I <laughs> was that in fact directed at you, sir? And so, and then another night when she came over with Fred to my place with He Who Shall Not Be Named, we're having such a good time. The four of us were hanging out, having a great time. And my dog was there. And of course, cause it's my dog. And she was such a, she was young at the time and was happy, just a happy little dog. And she was, she was small and she kind of jumped up on Farah just a little bit, like on her thigh. And, and Farah was like, Oh my God, stop. I'll fucking kill you to my dog. Oh my to God. To my dog. No fucking way. And it took everything in me to not say something because I respected Fred and I respected his relationship with her. But in my mind, I'm thinking this bitch just said that to my dog. I don't want anything to do with her. Fuck her. Right. Fuck her. My dog lives here. Yeah. This is his house. Yeah. Later on that same evening, she decided she was going to walk to a gas station that was close to where we lived. You probably remember this. So yeah. we're drinking, we're hanging out, having a good time. And uh, she was like, I need to go get cigarettes. And we're all like, none of us can drive, hun. Sorry. You're just going to have to do without. None of us. It's not going to happen. And she's like, I'm just going to walk. And so she decides to walk and she fell down like two or three times. And she comes back all pissed off, completely sucked the energy out of the room and didn't talk to any of us. And then she was like, I can't believe you let me go. I'm like, you wanted to go. How, how are, we, are we just going to hold you down and not let you walk somewhere? Right. She was the type of person, Farrah was the type of person 
and I've heard this said about other people before, and I love it. When she walked into the room, the lights get dimmer because she sucked all the energy out and was just a negative fucking person. Mm. Fast forward like a little while later, I've completely like, I'm sorry, I can't go hang out with Fred and Farah anymore because of her. I just can't. But he who shall not be named was like, well, I still want to go hang out with Fred. And so I would let him go over. Unbeknownst to me, he was hooking up with Farah. There was a night where it was very odd. I had come home kind of late because I was hanging out with some friends and I had taken him over there and dropped him off to hang out with Fred and Farah. I was coming home and I saw Farah's car like leaving my neighborhood. I go home and apparently Farah and Voldemort had had some sort of argument. That's how it was put to me. And it was just like, I just thought it was Farah being her regular bitch self. That's when they had stopped hooking up was at that point because I knew that they had stopped hanging out completely because he wasn't going over there anymore. And it could be because Voldemort was like, oh, I'm married. I shouldn't be doing this anyway. But I doubt it was that because I found out later on he'd also slept with Nathan's wife. Voldemort just thought that he had access to his friend's wives. They're my buds. They won't mind. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Share and share like they're my buddies. They don't care. I'm just going to sleep with their wives. I didn't know all this until actually I ran into Fred later, like a year or so after our divorce had been finalized and he's telling me all this stuff. And I was like, see, I knew it. I knew something was up. I didn't know it was necessarily her, but I knew something was up. I think cheating is kind of like roaches for every like one time you see, there's like 500 hiding (laughs) (laughs) somewhere in the walls. Oh, that's perfect. Cheating is probably way more. Yeah. In my experience. <laughs> you nailed it. You, you absolutely nailed it. Yeah, so th- what led up to our divorce was, I mean, not only that, but he just kept getting more and more just sullen and cranky and very critical of me all the time to the point where, you know, I didn't want to sleep with him and I wasn't attracted to him anymore. You're always doing shitty stuff to me. Like, why am I, or saying stuff to me? Why? No, it's it's... It's just bad, but trying to be the, the fixer, the, the codependent that I was at the time, it was in 2008. I remember it was on Valentine's day, 2008. I got him a Valentine's day present. I got him this really nice Marvel encyclopedia book that I found. And he went off on me because he didn't get me anything for Valentine's day. And he's like, I thought we agreed. We weren't going to get anybody. We weren't going to get each other anything for Valentine's day. And I was like, well, that wasn't the agreement. I know we've done that in the past, but I just did this to be nice. And it wasn't expensive. I thought you would enjoy it. And I, I finally snapped. That's a lot of words for Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, I believe is what you mean. Yeah, he just completely attacked me. He thought that I got him a present to make him feel bad. And it's, no, that wasn't. Because people like him think that way. Yes. So they think everybody else thinks that way. Because people like him never do anything good enough to merit getting a genuine gift. And so they know that. They don't have, they've not done any deeds that merit getting a gift and they know that, but their partner doesn't know that. And so they're pissed (laughs) because it's like, it's exposure, but it's not, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And there were other times he had said stuff to me. Like, I remember we went to a concert one night and I was talking to this girl who was standing next to, next to us at the concert. I was just talking to her being friendly and on the ride home, I was like, so what'd you think of the show? And he's like, and he says, I think you're going to be a lesbian in 10 years. And I was like, what? (laughs) 
yeah, just yelling at yelling that at me, and I'm like, you know, if you keep saying stuff like that, it's, it might happen, man. <laughs> you know, if you keep doing, keep it up, keep it dude, up, man, keep it up. I was just saying to Ella the other day, have you ever seen the Twilight movies yes, or read yes. the books? Oh yeah, I loved them. I did too. I, I, I still do. You know how like the more vampires show up, the more of the native boys turn into the werewolf mm-hmm. to fight them? Yeah. I feel like that's happening with women's sexuality right now. <laughs> like I know so many people who have totally switched teams because all of a sudden the vampires mm-hmm. are rampant. Mm-hmm. And it's awakening the magic mm-hmm. inside. And they're like, poof, lesbian, not participating anymore. Mm-hmm. And I'm here for them. <laughs> Ella is absolutely here for it. She will guide you. That's fantastic. I will guide you and make you feel wonderful. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. We had our chance. I know. Yep, y'all had your chance. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't blame y'all one bit. Fred is like, I understand. (laughs) Well, we had a good run. So funny. It's been past 10 years. Unfortunately, I'm not a lesbian. So, and it is unfortunate. It is unfortunate. It is unfortunate because, yeah. Because I'm telling you, it's proof that you can't choose. Exactly. Because at this point, we would not be choosing. It's very true. It's very true. So, uh, right after the Valentine's Day incident, we're kind of quiet for a few weeks and go about life, blah, blah, blah. I'm super depressed. So I'm being quiet around the house and I log on to check our bank account one day and he's opened a new account and has moved some money over into it. And I'm like, uh, okay. And then that's when he came home and he was like, I've opened a new account. I'm leaving. And he just basically left and abandoned me with all the bills. He left me with a mortgage, a car payment, everything. He just left me with all the bills. Oh my God. And again, that was a tactic to try and break me because he wanted me to sell the house. Of course it was. And uh, of course that was 2008 when the housing market was in the shitter. And I was like, there's no way I'm selling my house. And I will give props to my mom. She stayed with me in the early, like first week or two that this was happening. She stayed with me a couple nights just to support, you know? And I told her what he had said. He's like, oh, he wants me to, to go ahead and sell the house. And she said, this is your house. Do not go anywhere. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so she really kind of go mama. Yeah, exactly. Mama bear came out and she didn't want to see me lose my home. And eventually I waited him out until he was ready to get divorced and he just let me keep the house. So I was like, yay. Okay. That'll work. And during the time we were separated, I also found out, and I actually could have used this in court. He got another woman pregnant while we were still technically married. And then I found out that she had miscarried and lost the baby. And that was a weird emotional moment for me. I'm like, how am I supposed to feel about this? Because he said such shitty stuff to me before he left. He said, um, he told me it, first we, we didn't want to have kids. And then we kind of opened that door to having children. And then he was like, well, I want to have children, but not with you. And I was like, oh, well, asshole, you know? <laughs> so that's a shitty thing to say. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, it's part of me wants to have kids, but I sure as shit don't want to have them with you, dude. You know, right. if this is how you're going to treat me in the future, if I were like the mother of your children and you're going to treat me like this. My first ex-husband that I did not have children with told me that I would be a horrible mother. Ugh. 
I'm so sorry. I'm very ADHD. And Uh he's like, you'll forget you have children and they'll be playing in traffic. And he was so mean about it. And I am such a good mom. Oh, you are. Yeah, absolutely. And then as soon as our divorce was finalized, literally the ink was not dry on our divorce paper. He got, he got married as soon as it was finalized. If I know he went on, he did have a child and I feel extremely sorry for that child because he's the type of a narcissist. He'll never deal with this shit and he won't know that he isn't, you know, he won't acknowledge it. Um, he'll probably abandon that family too. So I'm not worried about it. It's just like, what can you do with that? And you just got to let stuff go after a while. And that was a chapter in my life. He's no longer in it glad he's no longer in it it hurt so much at the time and it broke me down a lot like like how fred felt you know you just you feel so incomplete you feel so lost i know i'm codependent i definitely know i have those codependent tendency uh, tendencies and i also have cptsd from childhood as well like fred does for all kinds of reasons yeah that's like a whole nother podcast <laughs> <laughs> So I get it. That was how my side of the story played into Fred's part of the story. And what's funny is like later on when we, when I found out all this had happened and didn't know and was just blinded and he told me, I was like, wow, that just, yeah, that, um, that makes sense now. That makes sense now. Yeah. I remember when we met up and I was bringing it up because it really was operating under an assumption that you knew yeah yeah oh no no he kept me in the dark about all that i'm like talking to you like hey and when when uh he who shall not be named did that thing with farah and blah and you're like wait what and it was like oh mm-hmm. no no i'm i'm glad you told me because then it's like oh well it's it all kind of comes together and it makes sense right. when that kind of stuff happens but yeah long story short he's covert narcissist won't change probably will never work on this shit. So what can you do with that? You can't do anything with that. It's fucked up. Like the universe is, this life is constantly throw you curveballs to keep you on your toes. Mm-hmm. So he who shall not be named current wife, who he has a child with, mm-hmm. that current wife was my very, very first girlfriend. Whoa, <laughs> no way. That's crazy, man. Of course she was. <laughs> What? How old were you when you dated? Oh, I was 12. Yeah, it was like, she was my very first girlfriend one summer, a very short lived thing. And we never like kept contact or anything throughout that. But she, the whole reason I even knew her and we became that or whatever for that brief little period of time was because she was friends with my cousin because they went to the same church together. Mm -hmm. And so fast forward, she comes up. And my suggested friends, like years ago, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, that name and that face looks really oddly familiar. Oh, shit. That's my first girlfriend. And that's crazy. It has to be. And I click on it. It's like, holy shit. Wow. <laughs> that's crazy. She's married to Voldemort. That's nuts, man. I didn't even know that part of the story. That, see, that's. Wow. I was convinced I'd like fucked with the Lorentz configuration or something. And like, he was, <laughs> he was just going to walk through the wall and we have such sights to show you dude see that's just that's just crazy but yeah so again lesson learned i did i I didn't learn all the lessons i probably should have learned from that relationship because i also went into another mostly toxic relationship after that as well well. when you've been beaten down too Mm -hmm. it's not like you're starting over after something like that Mm -hmm. with all of your faculties and understandings and feelings where they should be you've been broken down Mm -hmm. and now you believe all of those things and think 
the next thing is what you deserve. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, fast forward after my divorce is finalized, about two years after that, I get into a relationship with Chuck, the hobosexual. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta love those hobosexuals. Very much a (laughs) hobosexual. For those that don't know, a hobosexual (laughs) is someone who does not have a house of their own. And so they jump to relationships where they can move in immediately so they have somewhere to stay. Mm -hmm. I will say he had some, I mean, he did have his redeeming qualities. And I think what made him have redeeming qualities is because he was a father and he really does love his child very, very much. But before that, total misogynist. Again, what sucks is like, I'm telling you about my three long-term relationships with narcissists. He was like the golden turd in a pile of turds. First of all, the whole time we were together, I was in a relationship with him for five years. We started dating and he had good guy tendencies. And I know that he legit loved me and I did care about him as well. The love just changed after a while because uh, I helped him get a job. He stayed at my house. His car broke down. I was his ride for four years. All the things. And he would get upset and angry when I asked for bill money. And he disrespected my house so much. He, um, I let him have his own room at the house and he let trash pile up and clothing pile up. It was like, I was literally in a relationship with a fucking 12 year old and he stayed up all night playing video games. Am I, am I in a relationship with a man? I don't know. Cause it feels like a boy. Yeah. He just, he loved to get in petty fights with other people in our circle of professional friends. One night he got in a petty fight with one of them and he was so upset and he came home was being all macho and upset. He was like, fuck that guy. I'll fuck his wife. I'm like, you're saying this in front of your girlfriend who's letting you live with her rent free and you don't pay bills. He never cooked. He didn't clean one time while he lived there. Just absolutely disrespected my house. He was a chain smoker. He'd smoke outside. I went outside one night and he put his cigarette butts out in a mason jar. And uh, the mason jar was like right next to the house. And I looked at it and the whole thing had burned to ash, which means when he put a cigarette out, it caught on fire and was on fire for a while before it went out. And I was sitting there looking at it and I was like, Jesus, he could have burned the house down. Right. I mean, just completely self-absorbed, but he verbally loved bomb me all the time. He would text me every day. I love you. I love you so much. You know, it was all the verbal love bombing, but no actions behind it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It was a manipulation tactic for sure. Is words of affirmation your love language? No, mine is um, I'm 50% acts of service and 50% uh, gifts. That's that's me. I want you to do shit and buy me things. That's it. That's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How do people find those people who are into like the financial exploitation as a fetish? Oh, the Fendom, the Fendom stuff. Yeah, where like they give you their credit card and then you like film yourself maxing it out and buying whatever you want, and they're like, "Oh, that's so good," I and then you keep all lots. the shit. How do you sign up for that? I know, I know. I've looked into it. I have looked into it. If anyone at home knows. There are some YouTube channels about it. Yeah. Oh my God. I've learned so much during this whole thing. I feel like there's an empire opportunity, right? Here. It is. But what was definitely the the straw that broke the camel's back was we're in the house one day, he's outside smoking, and I go to turn on the water and the water's been cut off. 
I call the water company and I tell them, you know, hey, what's wrong? I've paid the bill. Why, why don't I have water? And they're like, oh, it's because the road that I lived on at the time, there was another road in town with the same name. And the water company was supposed to cut it off at the other road with that name. And uh, I go out there and he's smoking. And apparently the whole time while he was out there smoking, the water company guy had come up, opened the main, twisted it, turned it off and left. And I looked at him and said, you didn't think to ask, hey man, what's going on? <laughs> hey, uh, you know, oh, uh, why are you cutting the water off? You know, just- He's a, he's in there like the big Lebowski, like <laughs> this is like a private residence. Mm -hmm, man. man, yeah. I'm just gonna watch him cut your water <laughs> off. Well, that's some shit. What's with all the hostility, man? <laughs> What's with all the And But it's funny, you, he kind of had a big Lebowski answer because he goes, you know, I just thought, you know, it was none of my business. <laughs> <laughs> just a man trying to do his job. <laughs> I just thought it was, you know, none of my business. Because I know if I'd been out there, I would have asked the guy, I'd be like, hold on, you know, wait a minute. Let's look at the GPS and confirm your address, man. You know? <laughs> It looks like you're doing a little bit more than just checking the meter there, but Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's the wrench for? Yeah. The big wrench, the size of your leg. What are mm -hmm, you doing? The big twisty thing that turns the meter off. <laughs> oh, God. And after that situation, my brain was like, okay, that's it. I'm done. <laughs> that's, that's it. I'm done. This golden turd was brass. Golden turd was brass at that. It was second place turd. <laughs> I told him, you know, look, man, this just isn't going to work out. It was, you know, you're going to have to find a new place and move out. So I was nice. We had a pretty decent, nice little breakup. It was mostly respectful and everything until, okay, so we break up. He moved most of his stuff out. I still have like half of his shit was still at my house like a month after he had already moved out. And I kept telling him, I was like, look, man, you're going to have to come. He would come get it in pieces. Like he'd get like a carload mm -hmm. once a week or something, you know. It's a tactic. Yeah, absolutely it was. My, my ex-wife did the same thing. Oh, really? <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, yeah. It's oh, yeah. And then one day I was like, you know what? All this shit's going out in the hallway. You can come get it. That's that's basically what I did. You're not coming back in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what it, what had ha what had happened was I, I, you know, I'm on Facebook just looking around. All of a sudden his relationship status changes and he's in a new relationship with this woman that he had been talking to. And has a new address. I knew, yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All of a sudden I get a we've moved card in yes, the mail. we've moved. <laughs> with a relationship announcement. Ah, signed Chuck the Hobosexual. <laughs> 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 so I knew he would talk to this woman. And again, in my naivete, he would chat with this woman sometimes online and I knew about it, but I knew that they were friends and uh, I knew that he, he may not have ever physically cheated on me, but he definitely emotionally cheated on me with several women. And the reason he did that, and he would brag, he would brag about always being friends with all his exes. I'm all, I'm still friends with all my exes. You know, you brag about that. And at the time I was like, hmm, well that's, you know, okay, I guess some people are like that. But he's the type of guy that will always 
because he's a hobosexual, he will always have a woman on the back burner. Right. His main woman yeah. on the front and then another one on the back burner. And it's like the Santana song instead of Black Magic, we've got a back burner woman. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he probably has to have more now with Rent the Way It Is. Oh, yeah. He's got like... He's got one of those industrial ovens with six burners on them. <laughs> the hopeless hostel. The hope. <laughs> oh man, it's yeah. It, it's funny because a friend of mine actually recently asked me help with a, a to roast him, like do a roast, and I said no because even though I have plenty I could roast him with, I am not gonna give him the opportunity to be disrespectful to me ever again, ever again. Cause you know how in a roast they get to rebuttal and, and have their chance to roast you back. I'm like, nope. Oh, that was a roast of Chuck? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Chuck roast. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even plan on that. That's awesome. I just had some pathways connect with that that I was not aware of until right now. God, that's funny. Yeah, that's it was a (laughs) chuckle. Now I'm hungry. (laughs) Oh, that was great. Perfect. And so like we tried to kind of maintain a little bit of a friendship, you know, we kind of we kind of tried and we do a little bit. But every time I hung out with him after we broke up, the only thing he wanted to talk about were his sexual conquests with new women. And that's so disrespectful. Even like guys who are my my friends, like my regular friends who I've never had a relationship with, you know, we don't sit down and they immediately say, hey, guess who I've been hooking up with? You know, like it's gross and juvenile. It's gross. Thank you. Yeah. Unless it's your girlfriends, then it's fine. (laughs) It's gross when guys do it. Yeah. It's totally different (laughs) when your girlfriends do it with you, you know, that's a girlfriend, you know, this is a, a man that I was in a serious relationship with for a long time and I wasn't doing it to him. And finally, after the last time we hung out and he did it, I looked at him and I said, Chuck. I was single at the time. I was single and out having a good time, just doing what I wanted to do. And I said, do you want me to sit here and tell you about all the dudes I've been with since we broke up? And he kind of sheepishly looked down and was like, uh, no. What makes you think I want to hear it then? You know? And right. I had to set up very strict boundaries with him. His lucky ass doesn't even like know how close he came to hearing something that he couldn't unhear. Just then, they, like you, you had the power. I right, had you don't even know left him with a mental image of ju- that just would have ruined him. Exactly. We're like, oh man. Exact, dude. You are. You could have told him a story that ended with, and we call ourselves the aristocrats. Yes, exactly. <laughs> he would have never been able to unhear it. Out here walking around with a spotless mind, don't even know how close. <laughs> don't even know how close, man. Don't even know how close. And yeah, so I had to set up boundaries with him. And again, another for the listeners out there, I hope you've learned from, you know, so far what, what uh, Fred and I have talked about boundaries, you know, very important. And I had to tell him, look, we do have a similar circle of, of friends, mutuals. And I told him, I said, if I see you out, that's totally fine. We'll catch up real quick. We'll say hi to each other. 
but don't message me. Don't ask me to hang out. Don't tell me anything really. We are acquaintances now. Right. Sorry. It's like that, but you didn't have to cut me off. But yeah, I did. (laughs) I did have to cut you You off. (laughs) You did. You absolutely did. (laughs) Yes. For good reason. And he, he's been respectful of that. He has been pretty respectful of that and just, you know, pretty much left me alone and hasn't messaged me. And when I see him out, it's like high and by, I don't give him the opportunity to be disrespectful to me. Right. I do put him in the narcissist category, but he's very, very low on the spectrum because his, because like I said, he does have a child and he loves her. He's crazy about her. And I respect that. But though, if he didn't, if he did not have her to humble him, it would be a different story. He's lazy, malevolent. Oh. Maybe he's another cluster B because yeah. they do have very similar tendencies depending on which one you are. It's true. That's why I struggled with that. I'm like, is he really? And I think he definitely has the tendencies for sure. Like he's he's on that spectrum. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it definitely is a spectrum. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it is. I haven't observed at least a, a piece of that relationship from a friend's outsider perspective because I was with Mindy mm-hmm. I was getting balls deep into the alcoholism and all that that time so I wasn't really too privy to the behind the scenes of anything going on but it was out and about and out in public and at the shows and all that me and Mindy would talk about it on the ride homes oftentimes and just be like we were like where is the act stop and is it an act it's just always on mm-hmm. yeah and, and it's exactly like you said there's parts of it that are like extremely disrespectful but were you just doing your like act yeah because that was a little raw there if you weren't doing your act but then like the love bombing would come like very shortly thereafter yes and it's like that wasn't the act and you think back on that oh that's like so it's cultivated but subconscious too but at the same time he's not motivated enough (laughs) the amount of damage gonna do is gonna be like annoyingly having the clean after you and the water getting cut off and not knowing get the fuck out yeah yeah it's like i can't deal with this go live your life man go live your life so it's almost like he'd be more dangerous if he had a little more get up and go (laughs) is that accurate like a little more motivation (laughs) if he had one ounce of the actual machismo that he projects he'd be a different story he would be a force yeah gotcha it's charming at first at first it really is like i mean he's, he can be hilarious and it's charming at first but then it gets to a point where you're like i'm not sure what you are or who you are and if this is an act or if this is stopping or mm-hmm. and it seems like it's alienated a lot of your relationships so yes and it's all rooted in insecurities i distance myself as well like uh, for the same reasons yeah so that was the story of chuck roast the homosexual <laughs> chuck roast the that would be the name of this episode if we were only talking about him Uh absolutely (laughs) so where did you go from there we broke up and a a few months later i would say about eight nine months later i met my next toxic one you know third one's charm (laughs) i say you know so this was in the spring of 2017 i met Damien, a.k.a. the kitchen shitter, (laughs) (laughs) is textbook malignant narcissist. 
just the absolute worst. And tell our listeners what the difference there is. Complete denial of ever doing anything wrong. Always looking to be praised. Always needs to suck the energy out of people to feed their narcissism because they just have to feed it all the time. So that's, yeah, just absolute malignant narcissist. Just abusive, verbally abusive, doesn't care, completely self-absorbed. Really doesn't care about how they treat other people. They are the only things that matter. So I had gone through an extremely rough, probably the roughest rough patch of my entire life right before I met Damien. And it was, I had gone through my breakup with Chuck, Chuck Roast, and uh, I had I'd been laid off from my job. My dog died, who I was very attached to. Mm. Mm. My house was broken into and vandalized. I had told somebody that I really admired that I was into him and I liked him and I didn't want it to like, you know, affect our friendship or be weird, but I just wanted him to know I liked him. Totally didn't get the response I was hoping for. And I was really sad about that. And I was just very very depressed and i had passed over into a term that i've learned just very recently passive suicide which is and i was trying to figure out what what state of mind i was in and that was it that's when you don't care about your safety you are doing reckless things you're putting yourself in dangerous situations my alcohol issues were very bad at the time as well. Most bars close at 3 a.m. And I was going to bars at 2 a.m. to catch last call so I could do three or four shots and then walk through a dangerous neighborhood back to my car, hoping something would happen to me. And I know that's really fucked up. Just putting myself, I'd literally put myself in dangerous situations. And because of that, then comes Damon, a dangerous situation. He was a full-on alcoholic as well. Really, really bad al- alcohol. Um, and also he used cocaine. He was a regular cocaine user. And he was just um, all the things. <laughs> he was in a band and he played lots of instruments. And he was really funny. Of course he was. Yeah. I mean, he was really charming. And I dug him. He dug. I was his type. He was my type. We got along really good. At first, we were just having a casual good time together. And my first red flag with him, we were out, we were drinking, of course, and we were sitting at a bar and we were just talking, just having having a drink and hanging out. And he like put his drink down. He looked at me. He was like, I know you're one of those feminist liberals. And he pulled like the back of my hair and I didn't really know. I put his hand up and he pulled my head down, like almost slammed it on the bar. And I was like, where did that come from? We were just having a good time, man. Why? What? What? You know, and I was, I was so confused. I was drunk and I was confused. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, did that really happen? Did it not happen? What did it, oh, he was drunk. He didn't really mean it. Mm. He didn't mean that. He was, right. he was drunk. It's easy to justify. Very easy to justify. And at the time, you know, he was the only person giving me the attention that I needed. Like he was the one that was always calling me. He was the one that was texting me and checking up on me. And I was like, well, shit, no one else gives a shit about me. You know, he's the only one. So I guess I'll respond, you know, see what's going on. And there were so many red flags with him. Was it so many red flags? It looked like a communist parade, you know? That was, you know, a huge red flag at first. I felt like nobody gave a shit about me. And I was so mad at the universe. 
I was so mad at the universe. I remember screaming in my house one night. I'm like, fuck you, universe. You won't give me the career I want. You won't give me the relationship I want. You won't do these things for me that I need in life right now. So what's the fucking point? Fuck you, universe. I'm going to do whatever the hell I want, you know, because clearly you're not doing anything for me. So it was very black and white thinking, very, very black and white thinking. And that's when these types of toxic people sneak into your life when that, when you're in that mode. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, he was just, I mean, he would say terrible, awful, racist things, homophobic things when he was drunk, all those, all those things. Like he completely went against all my personal beliefs and all my, like he challenged my integrity so bad. I felt like shit for even being around him. And in my naivety, again, I was thinking, well, maybe if he sees me and like my group of diverse friends and how I live my life, maybe he'll change his ways. Mm. No, you can't do anything with those folks. You can't, you just gotta either cut them off and move on. My CPTSD was really, really coming out in my relationship dealing with him. He would, he would rage. He was banned from 20 bars for being so obnoxious and 20. First of all, fam, I mean, I want to mention, I think it's important to mention here as someone who had seasoned veteran status as a guy getting kicked out of fucking bars for a good slice of his life. Let me tell you what it takes to get banned from a bar in a town known for drinking. Yeah. You got to be a piece of shit when you're drinking, like to get banned, banned from that many. They let a lot of things slide. Oh, absolutely. It was just, it was so crazy. Some of the stories that I have um, about him, especially in that situation, we were at a bar one night and of course he had a gun, you know, he's that type of person. He had his gun. And dumbass, his gun fell out of his pocket in the bar. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. And so it, it, people saw it and he immediately picked it up and like ran out of the bar. Of course, he gets immediately banned from that bar. But what I didn't know is previous to that situation, because I was actually at the bar getting a drink, just kind of talking to some people, getting stuff. That happened. I did see the gun fall out and him like run out of the bar. But before that, there were two police officers that had been in the bar just hanging out. I guess they were just there for whatever reason. And he had gone up to them and he was that guy that was like, yeah, we all need to respect police and make sure, you know, we're, you know, they are here to to protect us. And he had apparently he had gone up to them and started saying such crazy shit about Obama. He got a visit from the fucking FBI. Oh, wow. I am not kidding. (laughs) The FBI. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what he said to those police officers to make them go and say, we need to get this guy checked out. He's not running on all four cylinders here, you know. No. So, yeah, he got a visit from the FBI at his job. Wow. Like, I was like, Jesus Christ. That happened. And another time I was at a bar and he ran into this girl that I guess he had gone out on a date with or something. And they talked for a second. And he just said, Hey, how's it going? I'm to talk to her. And she pulled me to the side and said, Hey, watch out for that one. You know, and they say, hashtag, you know, believe all women in that situation. Definitely. Yes, I should have. I should have. I definitely should have. I, for a complete stranger, someone I don't know from anywhere to pull me to the side and say, Hey, 
you need to watch out for him. She was really looking after me. And again, in my brain, I'm going, oh, you know, he's not that bad. And he's the only one calling me right now. So, you know, I'll deal with it. <laughs> so that, that happened one night at a bar, at another bar. He got into it with a woman for no reason, just started saying shitty stuff to her. And the bartender was like, you need to get the fuck out, man. He was out in the parking lot. He had locked his keys in his car and couldn't get in his car. So I was sitting there waiting on someone to help him out. And a lady in the car next to me, like rolled her window down and was like, hey, you know, you don't have to put up with that shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I laugh now because I look back. And I was like, that, okay, that was kind of funny. But also, right. thank you, lady, for noticing and saying something. So here I am. I'm getting all the – he goes, he goes against all my personal integrity as far as political beliefs go and things like that. And then one night he was drunk, and he thought it would be funny to pull me off of the bed. Oh, my God. And my face hit the floor. It was a hardwood floor. Face hit the floor, and I had, like, not a visible bruise, but, like, the whole side of my face was really, really uh, just sore the next day. And then one night while we were being intimate, um, he bit me. He, like... He, he bit me all over. Like I couldn't stop him for like, and get him off of me. I had bite marks all along my neck and my breasts and everything from where he'd bitten me. And it was just royally fucked up, royally fucked up. And of course, a lot of those times I was drunk at the time as well and couldn't really fend him off. Horrible. So there you go. I'm so sorry. <sighs> this has been kind of cathartic talking about this. Y'all are like some of the first people I've ever told this stuff to. So I haven't really shared it with anybody. So thank you for letting me share it. I hope it feels good and is not just re-traumatizing. No, no, it does feel good to share it with others who, who can hear the fucked up side of it and know about it, what to look out for. And that's mainly why I'm sharing because I want other people to know what to look out for and what to not put up with. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. For sure. So are you ready for the story? Yes. Of why I call him the kitchen shitter. Okay. What we've all been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> in a world where kitchens have no shit there was a man who solved that problem this summer <laughs> <laughs> so one night we had gotten just absolutely shit hammered and we had had a we had had kind of a, a verbal fight because every single night at this point that i hung out with always ended in some sort of catastrophe we could not have a normal night out at all and uh so we were we were fighting we were arguing and i was like i was like you know whatever man i'm going to bed you know you do whatever you want to do i'm going to bed so i go to bed he eventually comes to bed like i guess a few hours later and we're laying in bed next morning i wake up and i notice i look down at him and he's wearing women's underwear so in my drunken haze because i was still a little drunk and hungover, i look down and i see it and in my mind, I thought that he had left, gone over to another girl's house, fooled around, got her underwear on, and came back to my house. <laughs> Which is the most, I don't know why my reasoning went there. But then I looked down at it, I looked down at the underwear, and I realized it is my underwear. It's a pair of my underwear. He was wearing it backwards. <laughs> he was wearing it the wrong way. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, that's weird. So I get up and I start heading towards the kitchen. <laughs> my dog, I had a foster dog at the time that I was fostering. And 
he came along with me and I opened the door to the kitchen and I, and I look over, <laughs> I look on the floor and I'm like, is that, is that shit? <laughs> is that, is that shit on my kitchen floor? Is that shit? And, uh, and it's funny cause I look at my dog and my dog is like, it ain't one me. I'm like, not it. <laughs> Don't look at me. Not it. It is shit, but it is not me. Yeah. And it couldn't, it couldn't have been my dog because my dog was in a different room all night. So there was no way it could have been the dog. I would also assume there would be like a size difference yeah. between a dog. Exactly. Shit. You can look at, you kind of know human shit when you mm -hmm. see it. And so I look down and I'm like, this is human shit. <laughs> This is human shit on my kitchen floor. And next to it was, you know, like the, the Pyrex lasagna pans, <laughs> the glass, the glass Pyrex lasagna pans. It was next to it with paper towels in it. He had gotten so drunk. I guess he got sick to his stomach and didn't make it to the bathroom. He shit in my kitchen and he tried to clean it up, but couldn't do it because he was so fucking drunk. And why would you grab the Pyrex? <laughs> Why would you grab my lasagna pan to try to clean up shit? Maybe he had that down first and he missed. <laughs> <laughs> Still, like that doesn't that that could have been it. It's no more plausible than. than yeah, no, no. So it was very bizarre. So I literally, I grab a tub of like Clorox wipes and I'm like throwing them on the shoe, like from five feet away. I'm like tossing. <laughs> throwing the Clorox wipes <laughs> on this pile of shit. I ended up cleaning no. this dude's shit off my oh kitchen my floor. The next day, when he woke up in my underwear, he he was like, "Yeah, I put on I put on your underwear because I didn't know mine." You know, he had sh basically shit himself, so he went and put on my underwear. He was like, "I think I tried to clean it up, but I just it just didn't work out." <laughs> I was like, "Okay, dude." Anyway, we go about our business that day. And he calls me later on that afternoon and he was like, yeah, hey, sorry, I shit in your kitchen. <laughs> I don't think you find that on a greeting card anywhere. My uh, codependent ass still stayed with this guy and he repeatedly would remind me I was not his girlfriend. However, he would get so mad when other guys would talk to me while we were out. And um, he would blatantly ask for girls' phone numbers, like right in front of me, to try to piss me off and make me mad. But Lord, Lord forbid, a guy tried to talk to me. You know, it was the end of the world. You know, he was so mad. He was constantly saying awful things to me. He told me to kill myself more than once. He, he and he would text it to me. He was like, "You're, uh, you're old. You're, uh, you're worthless. You don't have children, so you're useless." Um, you should kill yourself. Terrible. Yeah, he would constantly, that type of stuff. And uh, he called me a fat bitch all the time. Um, one time he called me a dirty witch, which actually was kind of a compliment, so. That is a compliment. Yeah, I was like, okay, I'll take that one. It, it got so bad, it got to the point one night, you know, I had to rehome the dog that I was fostering and he was very upset about that. And he came over one night and he was doing all the things, just the verbal, the ver constant verbal abuse. He was drunk, I was really worried it was gonna escalate. I was worried about the, cause when he was drunk, he would f forget what he did. Right. And I even told him one night, I was like, you, you could get very violent one night, man. And then not even know it, not even remember. And he just blew me off. And, uh, and he was like, yeah, but I was drunk. I'm like, that's not an excuse, man. You know how many people are sitting in prison right now because they did shit while they were drunk. Right. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter. <laughs> the judge isn't going to be like, oh, you were drunk when you stabbed that man.
No. I had, actually, this was the second time I had to threaten to call the cops on him. But that night in particular, I was like, you need to either leave or I'm going to call the cops. You know, I'm going to have to. And I didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't want to bring that drama into my life. But I had to at least threaten it. And he, he finally left after I said, hey, I'm calling the cops if you don't leave. So he left. And that point was really, that was kind of my well, what I'm going to call my relationships rock bottom because it had just, my drinking had gotten out of hand. The pathway to him being violent towards me was extremely visible. It was there. I could see it. And I was like, I got to get this guy out of my life. And I felt so alone because he was part of my life off and on for about two years. I think at one point, maybe we did take a small break. I tried to, I tried to get him out of my life, but I let him back in because I was lonely. Yeah. Yeah. He weaseled his way back into my life. But the whole time I'm saying, I'm like, you're not, I'm not going to bring you around my friends because you're, you know, you're a shitty person and you, you don't respect women, all, all these things. I'm not bringing you around my friends. I'm sure shit not bringing you around my family. And uh, he would get so mad when I would go off and do things with other people and friends and whatnot. And he, he did try to isolate me for sure. I remember one night I had, um, I had lip gloss on and we were at a bar just hanging out and he, he like pulled me to the side and he was like, why are you wearing that lip gloss? Have you been sucking dick in the bathroom? And he was like, call me a fucking slut, you know, and stuff like that. And like, I'm like, okay, it was just awful. When I realized I, I was at a rock bottom because, um, because of codependency, when you are the narcissist supply, it's literally like a drug addiction. I've never done heroin, but when I finally got the strength to cut him off, block him, not answer his texts, not answer his phone calls. I laid in bed for three days. I wasn't crying. I wasn't like, oh, you know, like that. It was like my, like someone had like twisted my guts and my chest and it felt like a withdrawal of some kind. Right. It felt like some sort of drug withdrawal. And that's when I knew I have got to examine myself and figure out Yes, these these three narcissists that were in my life, they were shitty people, yes. But why was I allowing them in my life? Mm -hmm. And why was I allowing them to treat me so badly? What why? Why did I allow that? And that's a big piece. We we talk about that a lot. But what they did is not anyone's fault but theirs. So it's not in like a victim blamey way, but it's like you have to ask yourself those questions to prevent it in the future. Definitely. You know, I've been yes. there myself a hundred percent of like, what am I lacking in myself that I am attracted to this and need this kind of person in my life or I'm susceptible to it. Yeah. And a lot of it is because you're empathetic. They pick empathetic people that they can take advantage of and codependent people who are going to need that. Codependency. And it's for like, sure. I've been all of those people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was, it was at that moment. And this was right before lockdown, right? This was in like February of 2020 when this happened, when I decided to cut him off. And I spent most of lockdown <laughs> watching tons of YouTube therapists because I didn't really have access to a therapist at that point. And I didn't feel comfortable doing anything online. So I read lots of books. I, went, I started going to CODA meetings. I went to some SLAA meetings, 
Those were very helpful. What is that? Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. SLAW is what they say for short. So I went to SLAW meetings. I have to say, I'm not a huge fan of meetings. Um, I know I know some people it really works for. Like, I know, Fred, you probably, I don't know if you enjoyed meeting. Well, not enjoyed, but if they, you know, helped. You know, like, I'm looking forward to my. <laughs> 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 I'm a in recovery in a way that the meetings helped me a lot the first couple of years. Having that support group, and I highly recommend anyone just having some form of a support group outside of their friend group. Yes, it doesn't matter. I you know, I think find whatever works for you. You know whether it's AA or if it's something else or NA or SLA or whatever your thing is. Um, I think just having a support group is is huge. Yeah, because. For me, early on, just hearing other people's experiences, I went into it rationally knowing what I was going to hear and and that kind of thing. But just actually being there and experiencing it, hearing other people's tells and and their stories and how they've struggled and overcome and all that kind of thing, it was immensely helpful for me. These days, I don't need the meetings as much. I've kind of filled up that with a, a host of other things that enrich my life in such a way that I just don't think about alcohol that way anymore or my isms. But I also have uh, a bit of the codependency thing too. And so like, I have to stay active and diligent about that as well. And so that's why I stay in active therapy and I can sometimes I can go a stint without it, but then like, well, eh, there's some stuff happening. Time to get myself back in and go do a checkup, you know? Yeah. And it's, and it's knowing that it's knowing when those things happen, when you have anything, you know, life triggering that makes that happen. Right. Where you're like, Ooh, I need, I need to get to either a meeting or a therapist or something like that. For me personally, after a point, once I got out of the withdrawal phase, past the, the shock phase of sobriety, new sobriety, and and kind of more into the coasting along daily life things getting back into a norm kind of phase um it becomes exhausting to me to constantly like weekly be in the meetings rehashing the trauma to be rehashing yeah it becomes exhausting to me and i'm like all right i've hit this thing where like if i'm in a good spot i'm in a good spot and i'm going to be aware of my surroundings and aware of myself and if i start to kind of stray I'm either going to know it or the people around me that love me and are close to me are going to know it and I'll do something about it. Mm, there you go. Yeah. That's good. I'm going to therapy right now. I did uh, find a therapist that I really like. And during lockdown, I got to say, I felt so alone. I mean, we all felt alone during mm -hmm. that time, but I felt a little extra alone because I was trying to deal with some sort of weird chemical withdrawal from this guy but it did help books certain but like everything by pia melody really helped codependent no more she has another one about love addiction uh love addict is another good one and i just really just absolutely immersed myself i quit reading romance novels i was like these suck so i was like <laughs> I was like these men don't these men don't exist. Codependent No More is really good. I read I read that one recently. Yes. Her other book, Facing Love Addiction. While I was reading that book, I would literally get so upset. And so I was like, she's in my brain. How does she know this? Mm -hmm. How does she know this about me? I'd have to close it and like I'd throw it on my bed and walk away. I'd be like, oh, how does she know? You know, that's shit. Her books are amazing. Yeah. 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 But I read both of those. I guess ultimately the reason why I said, you know, third time's a charm, 
the last one, this guy that had kitchen shitter that I told you about, he was my rock bottom that made me say, I got to examine myself and figure out what's going on and why I let this happen. So I want other people out there, hopefully they don't have to get to that type of toxic relationship. Everybody out there, if you're in a toxic relationship and you're listening to this podcast and you're familiar with, um, if you're on that journey of understanding narcissistic abuse and figuring out the, the red flags, definitely, you know, check out the books that I mentioned. Pay attention to your gut instinct. Listen to that gut because when you have CPTSD, I've heard this from um, other therapists online, like when you have CPTSD, that gut instinct, it's shorted out. Yep. Yeah. You don't pay attention to it. Like he went against all my gut instincts, everything. You know, from social issues to physical warnings to verbal abuse. When, and I was just like, oh, you know, maybe he's not that bad. I had a therapist describe it to me as like it gets burned out because of the trauma response. Like you're hypervigilant about observing people and such and that you burn it out. Yes. You let a lot of stuff go. You miss that kind of stuff, even though like you rationally know it or see it at an academic level, talk about it, but you're there actively experiencing it against normal conventions and expectations. And it's like, you've absolutely burned out that part of your system that is aware of those kind of dangers. And the whole reason that you've done that is because you were trying to be aware of danger. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, fuck the trauma brain. Yeah. It's like, you're trying to stay, you're trying to stay one step ahead, but it actually didn't help you at all. Mm -mm. That first gut instinct, those women that, that woman that came up to me at that bar was like, watch out for him. You know, the other one that rolled down a window said, you don't have to put up with that shit. You know, all the signs. Well, that's, that's basically all I wanted to say, ladies. Thanks again for having me. Thank you so much for being willing to do this. And I think people listening will resonate with a lot of it. Maybe not the kitchen shit, but a lot of the rest of it, people will really resonate with. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's an isolated incident. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you both so very much. Of course. It was so nice. It is. Yay. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Guys. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it so much. If you want to support our show further, you can share our podcast with your friends, follow us on our socials at NGCOMPod or sign up for our Patreon to help keep the show going with a donation. Or you can become a patron for exclusive access to bonus content and interact with us and other loyal listeners on our feed. Meanwhile, if you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. If you didn't, no worries, move on about your day. If you wanna share your story on our show, please visit our website at ngcompod.com to fill out the contact us form. Thanks again for listening.